Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Um, if you're new here, my name is John Wagler, and my wife, Lacey, and I are part of this team. We've been on sabbatical for the last uh, two and a half months, and um, just so grateful to be back. You know, when you're gone away from something uh, for so long, uh, you can actually, there's like a moment where you're like, is this what I'm supposed to do, right? And so what was cool is throughout the entire process, um, man, we just deeply miss being here. We deeply missed our staff. We just deeply miss being so connected and, and realizing even that, even more so how much like this is what God wants us to do and uh, just love um, this community so much and missed you guys. And so um, thrilled to be back. Um, hopefully the sermon today won't be an hour and a half long. Um, so Lacey's the most excited person in the room today because I finally have an outlet to say stuff instead of just to... <laughs> Her for the last um, two and a half months, but I also just want to, you know, pause for a second. Also, like thank the staff and um, all the leaders that stepped up and did so many great things. And so, um, can do that. just such a wonderful team of people, and um, and so which is really cool. You know, one of the things that uh, came uh, throughout uh, our time away was this familiar theme that just kept coming up, and um, it was this word devoted. And um, it was something that uh, came up in, in things that I was reading. Uh, I did just like a lot of reading uh, around the early church and early Christians. And what was fascinating about that uh, was um, I, you can read letters of people who are non-Christians writing about the Christians. And they have like actual letters from the first and second century. And uh, reading those letters and, and how, uh, how they describe the church is not how the church looks like today. And how they described um, Christians, uh, it, it's actually pretty rare you, you meet Christians like they wrote about back then. And, uh, and so uh, it was like super convicting and this idea of like and seeing like the amount of devotion that the people had. Even when uh, we had a, a tragedy happen in Richmond, uh, one of my friends um, that I played baseball with in college, uh, he was like my mentor in college. His um, daughter was killed uh, in an accident and um, over July 4th. And so uh, we had a bunch of like our old teammates came back into town. And one of the things we were talking about with, um, with him was like his devotion uh, to just the craft. And, and we're talking about how, like, man, he, he never took any shortcuts. Uh, he, was, he embraced the monotony of a process because he was so devoted to it. Uh, he was always prepared uh, for everything. And, and even his devotion to his faith and even devotion to his family in the midst of tragedy, you saw, man, there was a, a way that he was able to handle things in the midst of this that came from this deep devotion that shaped the inner, inner core of his being. And so uh, for the next several weeks, um, I want to talk about what it means to be devoted, to be a really devoted follower of Christ, uh, to what this, how this should really begin to, to shape us and to understand what, what God actually has uh, for us. Because, you know, believing uh, in something doesn't actually change your life, but if you fall in love with something, it will. And so I think what actually happens a lot of times is like we say we believe in God, but we haven't fallen in love with him. And, uh, and I think when we see with, uh, with the church uh, as a whole, now I'm not saying every Christian, but just as the church as a whole, it's like we have a lot of people say they believe in Jesus, but they haven't really fallen in love with Jesus. And they're not really devoted to Jesus. And a lot of times when I see people, what they're walking away from in the faith, and they're walking away from church, or they're walking away from Christianity, they're not walking away from an example of seeing people actually devoted to following Jesus. They're walking away from people who said they're actually just believing in him. And so it's easy to walk away from that. And so um, I want us to be challenged by this and 
And one of the things that I wrote down uh, this week, like just, I was like, just jotting down like the first thought was, was simply this, that we won't be devoted to Jesus until we long for the fullness of his presence, for the fullness of his presence. But then I was like, all right, that's true, but I think there's more to it than that. And then there's this. I was like, all right, but we won't long for his presence until we appreciate his power and his authority. Right? It's like there's, there's this element that's like, all right, I'm going to long for the presence of Jesus, but I actually can't long for that until I appreciate the, the power and the authority that's actually there. But then I wasn't satisfied with that. I was like, but appreciation of his power and authority results in a healthy fear of the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks in particular, is having a fear of the Lord. Um, this is something that... Um, I was like deeply convicted by over the past few months and, um, and realizing uh, areas in my life where I'm like, man, I don't, is the fear of the Lord like really there? I'm talking like a, a genuine like fear of the reality of who God is. The fear of dishonoring his name. The fear of like, man, do, do I really um, approach him in the way that I should? Uh, in prayer um, and appreciate the reality of what's, what's happening, have a, a fear of the Lord. And so when we think about a fear of the Lord, now some of you might have grown up in church background where they tried to scare you into to following Jesus, right? And uh, we've talked about this before where there'd be like, you know, here's hell. This is really bad and describe hell. And like, or you could have heaven. And everyone's like, I mean, sure, I'm going to choose heaven, right? Like who wouldn't do that? And, and you kind of and you, you kind of get fed this this line that all right you said yes you're good like good job. But when I started thinking about this fear of the Lord, it it, it started making me think. Um, I remember hearing this story about Isaac Newton, who uh, developed a fear of the sun, and um, and, and the reason was uh, one day uh, he was curious about the power of the sun, so he got into a dark room and he and he made this hole in in the wall and he took a mirror and he's like I wonder what will happen if I I take a mirror. And let the sun reflect it and it hit my eyes. Now, it's a stupid idea, right? Like, I mean, like, it's so dumb. But he did it and burned his retina and he was blind for five days. They were nervous he'd never get it back and he actually ended up getting his sight back. But he, deliver, he actually then had this fear of the power of the sun, that there was this level, um, Tim Matthews from the Bible Project, he actually describes it this way. It's like, man, the goodness of God, it's like there's so much life in the sun. There's so much power in the sun, and it brings so much life to us. But if you get too close to it, what's going to happen to you? Yeah, you're going to burn and you're going to die, right? So, so you have this, like, healthy fear and reality of the sun. There's life that goes with it. But, man, there, there's also something that we've got to be like, hold on a second, do I appreciate its fullness of its power? And I think about how often we get so casual with God. We get so casual with his name. We get so casual with talk, even like declaring that we're a Christian. We get, we get so casual with, with Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. We get so casual. Um, do you guys remember when there was the Jesus was my homeboy phase? Like in the t-shirts. Like, and it was funny at the time, but looking back, you see like, oh, culturally this isn't good. And the fact that we feel so free to do something like that. Um, I remember when we did youth ministry and hearing someone, uh, a girl one time say, well, I, Jesus is my, is my boyfriend. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> there's so much wrong with what you just said. But, but like, there, you know, there, like the, how flippant we can get 
with our faith, and we end up lacking devotion um, to him. There's this story that I want to um, talk about today that, that actually shows uh, why the fear of the Lord is so important and what can happen to us when we don't fear the Lord like we should. And uh, it's a story that's actually bothered me for so many years when I read it. And, um, and, it, and it's my fault for actually not like reading about it more and studying it more. Uh, but it's a story actually out of First Chronicles that it's just like, whoa, this sounds like God is just like this jealous, vindictive person who just decided to kill someone. And it seems just like odd. Um, and, uh, and so, but I want, before we get to the story, I need to give you a little bit of background because if I just read you this story, you're going to think the same thing. But without the background, this will be like really helpful in terms of how we begin to engage uh, this story. And so um, here's what happens for you guys who don't know the Bible super well yet. In the, in the beginning of the Bible, God establishes this relationship through Abraham, this guy named Abraham. And through Abraham, we just sang about like the covenant of Abraham, but through Abraham and his line, the, this, this God's people are established and they're called, eventually called the Israelites, okay? So these Israelites um, come to God's chosen people. He has a special relationship with them and he sets them apart in some pretty powerful ways and, and, and has them uh, begin to like, hey, you got to live your life this certain way and gives them these commands to live by. Um, he uh, delivers them from uh, Pharaoh and uh, Egypt and they, where they were enslaved. And that's where we get the story of Exodus from. And so there's this, this big story about God freeing his people and liberating his people. What ends up happening is, is uh, in the midst of that, they get into the wilderness and everything. But, but God establishes, like what we see in Scripture is that God always wants his presence with his people. And he wants his people to appreciate his presence. We see it in the garden story. We see it with Noah and the ark. We see it with um, what eventually becomes like the ark of the covenant. All right. So the ark of the covenant was just like super interesting. Um, he goes through and he, he talks to this guy named Moses. All right. So Moses is the leader of the Israelites at this point in time. And he gives them these directions on how to build this ark and, uh, and, and, and what was and how it was supposed to be carried and all these different things very specific uh, uh, design uh, and materials that were supposed to be used. And there were very specific rules that, that went around with this ark. But whenever uh, they were in the presence of the ark, they had the presence of God that was with them. And that went, there was a lot that went along, along with that. So in Exodus 25, you see this. This is part of like, the description. He says, you want to cast four gold rings and fasten them to its four feet and two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to do what? To carry it. You guys can read, correct? <laughs> to carry it, right? Not that much has changed. Uh, the poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put, the ark, uh, then, then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant of law, which is, um, you guys have heard the Ten Commandments. And, and the, so put in the tablets of the covenant of the law, which I will give to you. All right? So we see right at the front here that he's like, now, if we normally read a passage like this, you probably gloss over it in the Bible. Like, blah, 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 like acacia wood and like gold, like cool. It was like a fancy box, right? Like that's all like kind of thing. <laughs> and he's like, he's giving like very specific instructions. He's like, this is the way you're supposed to carry it. Okay? And so he, he maps out all these other things too. And then he, and he goes in and he's like, let me just, this is what it kind of looks like, hypothetically. Um, 
and, and so you got the poles in there, and it's like got gold all over it, and you got the cherubim on top, and like and within it, in the boxes, is, is like um, the Ark of the Covenant, it's Aaron's rod, it's a manna, like talk about the story of how God provides for people, and the Israelites were to carry this wherever they went. And they were, uh, and, and they would establish it, if they were in a land, they'd be like, all right, they'd be in this tent, and like the Ark of the Covenant would be there, and that was like the presence of God, all right? And it was like unbelievably serious, and so he added on to the seriousness of it, Look at this in Numbers chapter 4. He says, this is the work of the Kohathites at the tent of the meeting. They care for the most holy things. All right, so these Kohathites, these people, very specific people, are to care for the most holy things. They, they've, got, they've got this, they, they know what to do. All right, they know exactly what to do with the, the most holy things. But, but if you came on the scene and you're not a Kohathite, should you handle the ark? No, thank you, Mark. Like, no, you don't touch it, all right? So, like, who can touch it? The Kohathites. Can you? No, good job. All right, so, so you can't touch it. He continues on, he says, After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, only then are the Kohathites to come and do the what? Good job, you guys. But they must not touch the holy things, or they will what? The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of the meeting. So what happens if you mishandle the ark? You what? Hmm. It's pretty serious. God's not playing around. God sets up the rules for this. And he's like, you mishandle who I am and the rules and the commands that I've put out before you, you die. So think about it this way, if um, I had a radioactive material and I put it in a box and I gave it to you and I said, uh, there are very specific rules to handling this and um, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you all the instructions on how to do it and only you can actually handle it. Would you not take care, like, great care of that, right? You and your family, like, you guys are the only people that can take care of it. Now, if generations go by and, and some people come with this radioactive material and they start playing with it and throwing it back and forth and they get burned and die, would we be like, oh man, you guys are a bunch of idiots. Like you, you mishandled the reality of like the rules that were set in place, right? So God, what he does, he's, he's like, let me tell you something, this is how it works. You may not like how it works and, and listen, you might not like the Kohathites, but listen, that's who handles the ark. That's who handles the holy things. And, and that's the way it is. And so they get this, and the people get it. And then they spend generations and hundreds of years of like, this is the reality with the ark. Well, here's what happens with the Israelites. The Israelites, who are God's people, want to be just like everybody else. And this is where the story should sound awfully familiar. God's people want to be like everyone else. And so God's people want to have a king just like everybody else. God's people want to have a nation just like everyone else. God's people want to be just integrated with everything in the same exact way that everyone else is. And so God eventually was like, okay, you guys are going to get what you want and you can suffer the consequences of this. I'll still interact with you and I'll still like call you back and want you to see the realities of your decisions. But, but listen, you, you're going to understand what's about to happen in your life. And you're going to feel the reality of it. 
And so God um, puts that into play. And, uh, and so these people, like the Israelites, they, they get their own king and they end up fighting a lot. And when they start fighting with uh, a bunch of different groupings of people, one of the people they, they end up fighting with are the Philistines. And the Philistines come into play and they actually overcome, they overtake uh, the Israelites um, at one point in time. And guess what they take when they win? The Ark. So they take this Ark of the Covenant. And they take the Ark of the Covenant and here's what they do. And again, this should sound so familiar to us right now if you just take a step back and look what's happening all around us. They take the Ark of the Covenant and who is designed for God and set apart for God and they just put it in this room with all the other gods and act like there's no difference. Your God's the same as my God. Your truth is the same as my truth. And it's like, and, and, they, and, they, and they defame the name of God and they put it in with all of the other idols and all of the other things because they all had all these other gods. They're, they're God of sex and they're the God of war and the God of wealth, the God of fertility, the God of everything. I mean, they're gods for everything. And they put it in with the same way. And guess what started to happen around them? Plagues, sickness, death, more war, more violence, everything else, right? And, and so all of a sudden they're like, hey, we were good until we, started, until we started treating the name of God in this Ark of the Covenant in the same way as the other gods. So can we get this thing out of here? And so they're like, we got to get it out fast. And so watch what they do. Oops, I'm sorry. Here's a picture. Just so you guys know how to, I forgot about this part. This is how it was supposed to be carried. Okay, so it's a wheelless transport, all right? I forgot about this part. They would pick it up, they would put it on their shoulders, and they would carry it in that manner. That's how it's supposed to be carried. So can you carry it any other way but this? No. What happens if you do? Good. So this is how it's supposed to be. So, the, so we have the specific way to carry the ark. We have detailed instructions for its care. We have the Kohathites who are responsible for the care of the ark. And then with the end result of, of not following directions is death. So that's the reality that we have of the Ark of the Covenant, okay? And what God sets into place. And so all this war happens, the Philistines capture it, and all this plague and sickness. And, and this is what they do. They say, now then, go get a new cart. Hmm. Ready. <laughs> With two cows that have calved and never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. So they're like, here's the deal. Get a couple of cows who are used to just carrying stuff, not holy things, not things designed to be the presence of God, just stuff. Hitch this cart to these and like get this thing out of here and back to the people. So they set up, the Philistines are the enemies of God and set this way up to, to get like oxen to be a part of this carrying process on this cart going against all the rules that were established and the Kohathites are nowhere to be around at this point in time with the Philistines, of course. So that's the background of this story. Now, we get to this wild story in First Chronicles where this guy named King David is on the scene. So we're... we're generations and hundreds of years passed when the whole Ark of the Covenant thing started. And we're coming up into this story where now King David's like, you know what we need to do? We need to get the Ark back. All right, so I want you to see what happens. First Chronicles 13, he says, David confirmed with each of his officers. This is a big deal here. The commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, 
If it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So let me pause here for a second. It seems like they're doing the right thing. Like they're, they're going about this and they're like, we, we want the ark back with us. We, we, we want this with us. And it seemed right to, to, to some of the people or all the people. All. In the entire land. So he says, so David assembled all of Israel from the Shore River uh, to Egypt to the Bohemath to bring the Ark of God from kiriath Jerim. David and all Israel went to Baalau of Judah to bring up from the Ark of God the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim, the Ark that is called by the name. Again, everything sounds so great. They moved the Ark of the God from Abinadab's house on a new cart. Hmm. With Uzzah and Ohio guiding it, David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and harps and lyres and timbrels and cymbals and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because of the what? The what? Hmm. Who had the oxen carry the ark? The Philistines. Now, the Philistines, God's people, are the enemies of God. Interesting. So the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day the place is called Perez Uzzah. Now listen, David's not angry at God. David is angry because of the reality of what happened, because he knows better. So David was afraid of God that day. Fear of the Lord. And asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. This story bothered me so, for so long because you read the story on the front end and you just think to yourself, I mean, sucks to be Uzzah in that scenario. Right? Like, you're like, wait a second. He just tried to make sure it, it, it didn't go down to the ground. Right? Like, what? He wasn't being defiant. He wasn't doing it. He was just like, he was just trying to study the ark. But it's interesting because here's the problem. Uzzah was more concerned with like the things of the earth hurting the things of God rather than uh, understanding what God had already set apart. He was more concerned with the things of this world hurting the things of God rather than pausing for a second. Like, well, God set things up a certain way. Maybe I should go that way first. What was he missing? What were they all missing? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord on an incredibly deep level. So what happens? And I just want to focus on one thing. What happens when we fear the Lord? We have a lack of wisdom. What's interesting in Scripture is 
um, when he talks about wisdom, wisdom isn't just knowing things. Wisdom is this knowledge of understanding how the world works. Wisdom is this knowledge of, uh, or this ability and this connection to see through God's eyes. Wisdom is an understanding. Um, you know, wisdom was first given in the Garden of Eden. In the garden, well, how do we know that? Because Adam and Eve originally were in deep communion and union with God, and they were able to see things the way God wanted to see them. And what ended up happening in the garden was the serpent comes along, and what does he do? He tempts them to see things their own way rather than the way God had already established. And they made a foolish choice. Why did they make the foolish choice? Well, because they lost the fear of the Lord and were kind of distracted in by something else. And so this fear of the Lord leads to a lack of wisdom. And so when we start thinking about this and what it can mean for us, is like we pray to have God's will in our life. Well, we can't have God's will in our life if we don't fear the Lord. We pray to see God, like we pray to see people through, through the eyes of God, the way he sees them. We cannot do that without the fear of the Lord. And I'm not talking about a casual fear of the Lord. I'm talking about a legitimate fear of the Lord, of awe, of wonder, of his glory, to understand his power and his authority. Because when we start to, to understand that, then we can be devoted to following him instead of just saying that we believe in him. So this lack of wisdom, what does it begin to look like? I want to give you some keys of like what this looks like. The first thing is you start to seek people first instead of God. David in the story does not go to God first. He goes to his leaders first. Now you might be saying, but I thought his leaders were godly people. They might have been godly people, but his first place he should have gone was to God. He has this big decision to make to understand what God's will for his life is. You, show, you don't go to people, you go to God first. And then you go to godly people. But those godly people, who, do, who should they be going first when they talk about giving like wisdom to you? God. Why? Because it's the fear of the Lord. That what's set apart is this idea of like, no, we go to God first. We're not seeking out the wisdom of people first. How many of you guys have done something wrong that seemed right at one point in time? And you look back on those moments, right? And you think to yourself, wow, that turned out to be like super foolish. The reality is, um, I bet you if you could go like map those out, and if you were honest, the wisdom that you sought out was probably not God first, and the people you talked to probably weren't seeking God first either. Even sometimes when I sit with people and they're in relationships and they're like, I'm trying to figure out if this person's right for me. And, and one of the things I'll ask is like, do they, who are you asking first about this? Well, I'm asking you, Wags. That's I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, are you, are you going to God first about this? And then is that person that you're with, are they going to God first? Like, who they are. I'm not talking about a perfect person. Or, you know, I'm just saying, like, I mean, do we understand, like, who we're with? I mean, we don't seek people out first. We, we seek out God. So you have to answer this question. Like, when you think about in your life right now, who do you go to? 
Do you go to God first? And the people that you're talking to for wisdom in your life, are they grounded in going to God first? If the answer is no to one or both of those questions, guess who you will not get in your decision-making? God. You'll get the wisdom of man. And so this fear of the Lord has got to be in the midst of this. Even think about where you get your information from right now and like what's shaping like how you see the world around you. Are you going to God first or do you go to news or social media or to people or to books or to whatever? Are you going to God first or not? Because if it's not to God first, then you don't get God in your life. If it's not to God first, you won't get the wisdom of God in your life. In your business, do you, do you go to God first or not? Like, so it's like having the fear of the Lord and the reality of what it means to be devoted to him begins to shape the wisdom that we have in every area of our lives. The second thing that happens when we lack wisdom is we devalue the word of God. We can devalue the word of God through a lack of curiosity. And we can devalue uh, the word of God um, by craving its blessings and provision without responsibility and devotion and accountability. It's like, I want God to bless me, but I actually don't want to actually take his word seriously. Like, I want to, I want to, I want to like love people more, but just in the way that I want to. Like, God, will you bless me in this job? God, will you bless me in this relationship? God, will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do this? And, and, and you have to take a second and be like, whoa, am I actually taking seriously the word of God in my life? Now, I'm not, here's what I'm not saying. Don't misunderstand me because this can go away. I don't want to. I'm not saying that if you obey the words of God that you all of a sudden get the blessings you already asked for. I'm saying that when you obey the reality and are devoted to the commands of God, you get God, and that should be enough. Why? Because there's this longing of the presence of God in our lives to be devoted to him. Another thing that happens when we devalue uh, and lack wisdom is we lack boundaries. Uh, you know, in verse 9, it talks about the, the oxen. Um, so, you know, they, they handle the ark in all the wrong ways, right? They're not carrying it. They put it on oxen. Um, they have no, the Kohathites are, are not involved. I mean, what's crazy is like, it seems like they're doing the right thing, even down to the level of like they are shouting and celebrating and singing and getting everyone else involved. And they're like, we got the Ark of Covenant back and like everything's just going crazy. And like, it feels like a powerful worship service, except it's all worship that God does not want. It's all praise because he's like, you're singing these songs and you're doing this thing, but you actually aren't obeying what I laid out. So in verse 9, they have these oxen that come to the threshing floor, which is just this smooth floor. And, and animals have walked on that before. This is not a foreign concept, but they walk on the floor. And again, the ark is not supposed to be in this, in this place. It's not supposed to be delivered in this way. It's not supposed to be on a cart. It's not supposed to be with oxen. But it seems like it's okay until it isn't. And so they go on this floor. Why? Because they lacked the boundaries in their life to do things the right way. The fear of the Lord, they lack the boundaries. They're like, whoa, whoa, we don't do the ark this way. For us right now, I don't live my life that way. I've, I've created these boundaries in my life 
by, the, by, the, by having this fear of the Lord and the commands of God, it's like, I don't live my life that way, but here's what we do, right? Um, it's my time. It's my choice. It's, it's my life. It's my money. It's my body. It's my whatever, right? And we're like, we're like it's fine. It didn't hurt anyone until it does. And we operate in this way, and one of the things I was thinking about is our lack of sensitivity to correct, uh, to correct boundaries makes us believe the fake freedom we are experiencing is actually good. They had this ark, and they're like, this is good. We've got the ark coming to us. But someone's about to die. And I wonder how often, even in our own lives, we do things in a way that's like, we lack the boundaries God has actually put before us, and we, th- we do things that seem good, and seem okay, and, and you might even have a little bit of success with it. You, you might even have a little bit of happiness with it. Until you don't. Because we didn't have the correct boundaries that God had actually laid out for us. Another thing that happens when we lack wisdom is we lose sensitivity to sacredness. You know, um, one of the things that w- while we were gone being like disconnected from like the community like we, we would often say on Sundays we'd be like I can't believe people don't go to church all the time like I, I can't believe it like just being disconnected from community was just like felt like this like gaping like hole was in our lives and I started thinking about this um the sacredness of, of this now the gathering of God's people has been happening for thousands of years okay in many different forms, in sizes, in places. But the sacredness, um, can you imagine when you were walking in or like you just pulled in the parking lot this morning and you, you paused for a second and you're like, hey, hold on a second. This is actually incredibly sacred what we're about to do. Like when you look at around the room at a few, several hundred people that are in here with you today and there'll be more in the second service, like, Everyone in this room that is with you right now is made in the image of God and is sacred to God. And here you are gathering with them in this sacred, unbelievable moment. This beautiful, sacred moment to preach like, hold on a second, we get to be in the presence of God with other image bearers. We get to sing together, pray together. We get to talk to one another. We get to have this opportunity to allow God to speak it to us. I can't believe it. The sacredness of this moment. To value it in that way. We have the sacredness of people. I mean, think about they lacked wisdom. David and his people lacked wisdom. Um, it didn't just impact David and his leaders. What, another passage in First uh, Samuel when it talks about this story Um, It says that there were 30,000 men there, um, which does not include women and children. So his decision actually affected uh, probably an upwards, a little over 100,000 people. And so the lack of wisdom resulted in like impacting so many more people than you would ever realize. Why? Because you didn't value the sacredness of what you were around. The sacredness of people because you didn't have uh, the fear of the Lord We lose the sacredness of beauty and silence. 
to appreciate. It's like, man, when we lose our sensitivity, like you can go out to a beach, you can go out for a walk, you can go sit wherever near a lake or in a park, or um, you can be on top of a mountain, and you're like, that was a cool hike, right? And we lose the sensitivity to the beauty and the sacredness that God has created in front of us. Why does that happen? We don't have the fear of the Lord like we should. At the end, though, <laughs> Uzzah still dies. And so when you read a story like this and you think about it, uh, we recoil at stories like this. We're like, mm, I like the Jesus guy better. <laughs> you know what's interesting? The reason that we do that is because we don't like the parameters that God has set up. You see, if we fear the Lord in the right way and have the awe and the respect and the wonder of who he is, we don't live scared. We live for this longing of the fullness of him in our lives and have this deep appreciation for the way that he set things up. And so when we read a story like that, it's like, whoa, no. Like they had generations and hundreds of years of like, this is the way things are supposed to be. And like God set it up this way. Like they shouldn't have done it. They shouldn't have gone about it that way. So when we hear a story like that and process a story like that, I think the challenge for us should be like, not about the story, but asking ourselves, who's really trying to play God here? Because I think that's what's really happening. When we're like, mm, I don't like that story, it's like, well, because I want it my way instead of the way God had already put it out there. And so even like you might be thinking about Jesus, and you're like, man, he was so much more gracious and kind. I'm like, mm, his commands are pretty serious. You know, the way Jesus talks about it, of course, things changed, obviously, through the cross and through his death and resurrection and some of those realities. But guess what? One of the things I was thinking about is, like, when Jesus even te he teaches this way, that when you don't follow his commands, you don't experience life, you experience what? Huh. So maybe his commands are serious. You don't experience light, you experience darkness. When you don't follow Jesus and the commands that he had, do the people around you experience life or death? Death. So maybe his commands are pretty serious. And maybe there's something to be devoted to. And maybe there's something to actually have a fear around. So that's a challenge. Ben, you guys can come back up. We're going to talk about this for the next several weeks because... Um, there are folks in this room who do this incredibly well. You are very much devoted to following Jesus. But I don't ever want us to be mistaken for a community who ever takes the word of the Lord lightly. Um, if you're new <laughs> to this whole faith thing and this whole church thing, we will do everything in our power to like make things make sense and like create an environment that you can grow in your faith and safe to do so and, and um, ask your questions and doubts and express your fears and all those things like yes, 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 yes. But I don't ever want it to get twisted that we don't take God seriously. That we don't challenge and push one another to be truly devoted to him. 
that there isn't something burning inside of us that's like, I, I don't, I don't want to be casual with anything with my faith. I want, I want to have a fear of the Lord in the way that I should be so that I can actually understand how God wants me to see my own life and the world around me. We're about to sing a song. Um, we've sang plenty of times before, and you guys, if you've been in church, have heard it. It's been around for a long time. But we're going to talk about like, the God giving us breath in our lungs. That he does that. Breath in our lungs. And so when you sing that, it's not about, oh, I remember this song. It's like we sing with a fear of the Lord. We, we sing with an understanding of, you mean breath in my lungs. So, I, so when I say I'm pouring out my praise to you, it's not just words I'm reading out on the screen. It's something that I'm so devoted in my heart and I live out in such a way that I'm like, I just, because of who you are, that I, I just want to give all my praise to you. That's the kind of devotion we should have. We bow your heads. So God, this morning, um, there's not a person in this room who fears the Lord perfectly. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have work to do. There's not a person in this room that doesn't need a deeper sensitivity to your spirit. There's not a person in this room that doesn't need to know you more. So God, I just pray that we will have a sense of your spirit right now to want to develop this longing to follow you, this longing to be devoted to you and not miss out on the sacredness and the beauty that we are experiencing here right now in this moment. Will you stand and sing this last song with me?